Hello and welcome to this edition of the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Today I'm having a really interesting exploration of data science or data science, depending on where in the world you're from, um, with Fabrizio Costa, who's talking to us all the way from San Diego County in California. We're going to be covering... Some some really interesting ground, including molecular genetics, which is really off-piste. But Fabrizio's background is uh, um, he's a PhD molecular geneticist who is now a data science leader helping biopharm companies really release the power of data in providing wonderful outcomes for humans all around the world. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Fabrizio. Hello and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Today, I'm I'm very excited to be joined by a data science leader, Fabrizio Costa. Fabrizio, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Appreciate it. No. Oh, it's great to have you here. You're, you're, I'm in Auckland. You're calling from California. Yes, in the United States. Not a good timing, though, but yes. No. How, how is everything as we head to the holiday period? Um, well, what a year. Uh, what a year. Yeah. Yeah, end of the year. Um, we are having the, the third wave of the coronavirus pandemic here. And uh, I, I think like a lot of people um, is locked down in California right now mm. and other states, uh, more than 200,000 cases a day and 3,000 people dying. So it's pretty, pretty tough. Yeah, it sounds really tough. Um, we've, uh, it's funny, we've been... Sp- I've been noticing through the podcast conversations how much more prevalent COVID is. Like I've, I'm speaking to a lot of people that have been directly impacted by it. And maybe three or four months ago, it wasn't quite the case. I was what, just one or two people that I knew had been impacted by it. Um, so, yeah, I, my, my heart goes out to you guys over there. It really does, especially as we enter this this um, usual Christmas time. I mean, for business, it must be really tough um, during this, what should be and what's expected to have been the busiest time of the year. Yeah, well, um, talking about this, I'm from Brazil, right? I live in the US for more than 20 years now. And um, mid of the year, I lost a cousin, um, medical doctor, in the front lines in, in Brazil, in the north of Brazil, because of the coronavirus. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, we grew up together and we knew each other. He, he, he um, unfortunately, he got the virus and died and he left his wife and two kids. But, and then, then you get a sense on how this thing is real and it's getting close, right? So I have parents yeah. and family there. So it's mm. always... Um, you always get a little weird about those things, but let's see. Now we have, I don't know, seven vaccines uh, available, but mm. I'm a little, well, the UK, I'm a little, I think yesterday, yeah. yesterday, the first UK 
bit of a timestamp. It's the 10th, uh, 9th of December because this will probably go out around the Christmas period. But, yeah, it was yesterday that we heard that the UK had vaccinated their first patient um, outside of medical yeah, well, trial. Yeah, well, a lady nurse with 90 yeah. years. Yeah. And mm. I think the next one is going to be probably the the, the uh, people from from the uh, monarchy, like, uh, like uh, the... <laughs> uh, yeah. I think they are going to, uh, I don't know, I think they use the five, uh, I, I don't know if I can say the name here, but I, I think they use one that has uh, nucleic acids uh, as a, as a, as a uh, vaccine, and, mm-hmm. and there are two of them that use, uses uh, the nucleic acids from, from the viruses. It's the first mm-hmm. time in, in the world, in, in the history of vaccines, that they are using this. And yeah. I see a lot of people questioning this because it's a lot. Of yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm seeing that as well. Like all of a sudden, my DMs on my social media, this, the private um, side of it, that certainly seems to be filling up with people that are spreading some rather scary positions on it. That I don't know where they seem to be that based on science. I think it's more the fact that science is scary to people, and so. What you don't understand, box, right? You fear. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. I think. I think this year for me has shown the gaping hole in scientific education, like the base level that people are getting at school to be able to enter the world. Like, once you've left school, if you haven't got an interest in science, then you're probably not going to be spending a lot of time getting yeah, your head uh, around science. My, my journey is interesting. I, yeah, yeah, let's I, talk about your I got in, Yeah, right, I right. got interested in, in genetics because of a, a teacher that I had in, in high school that was really good in biology. And, and then I, I got into, I did a PhD in molecular genetics because they didn't have bachelors in genetic engineering or whatever. In, the, in, in Brazil, in my home country, and then I moved to the U.S. and did a postdoctoral training uh, in Boston at Harvard University. But during this time frame, I was very excited about science and uh, read a lot. You have to read a lot. And got into this, um, how can I say, uh, autopilot of you have to do this and this and this and this to get a position as an academic. However, if you see how academic works right now, and in the meantime, I got frustrated with the slow pace of things and a lot of, um, how can I say, in the US specifically, probably in, in Britain, a lot of competition from, from all over the world trying to get a specific position as a professor, a tenured professor in this case, and I got really uh, frustrated because science is the most competitive uh, word I ever seen in terms of like who owns what, right? It's it's not a collaboration like like it's happening right now to develop vaccines to coronavirus or things that are killing all over the world. Can you imagine what would be possible if there was the same collaboration? That we're showing to the vaccine project across the whole of science. Well, now it's happening, but 
before it's all about competition and who's going to go first. Mm. Not just vaccines, but science in general for oncology or any disease. Uh, Now they have to collaborate, uh, even though some companies like Astra, uh, some companies with some specific uh, universities, they they develop their own uh, vaccine with their own, um, how how can I say, their own uh, technology, I would say. They are different. They, They are different. But um, in terms of science in general, it's very complicated because it's a it's a it's a, a, a vicious circle because we, you develop something and then you have to publish uh, in a, in an academic journal, a scientific journal, to publish on on Nature, for example, or any of yeah, those big journals. Peer reviewed, as they yeah, call it. Yeah, peer reviewed and everything. So Nature. Science and Cell, they charge $5,000 for you to publish and give the copyright around that range, which is crazy. So you pay, and then you are peer-reviewed. If the paper is accepted, good, it's going to be published. And then it's open, or people have to pay to download so that the, the publishers, they get money from the scientists they are paying to publish, and for people that want to download the papers, if it's closed, there are open journals now. And then industry has access to all of that. They get all of the things that you publish. They develop the product and they come back to you and try to sell. So, And I imagine that all of those different parts of the system are very siloed in all sorts of different ways, siloed in data, siloed in purpose, siloed in thinking, siloed in desired outcome. Yeah, yeah. And uh, data now is changing a little bit because uh, pharma companies are way, way behind in, in big data technology or predictive analytics because they have like servers all over the world. They, 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 they didn't think about that. Big tech companies they use AI and they are ahead of the game. And the f- big pharma companies, even the academic centers, they are trying to catch up on, on um, AI and data science and predictive, predictive analytics. So I think uh, all of this, uh, how can I say, competition uh, between who, who is going to be better in terms of uh, data analytics is going to be, even the, the, the development of the vaccine that was really fast compared to the other ones that took like a decade is going to be advancing a lot of things in science. And also what you, you, you were, you were talking about science communication and science um, um, like uh, general people know, knowing what Mm. scientists Mm. are doing. Like, yeah, the exposure to the science. Yeah. If you have kids in school, they have biology or they have science, but they don't really know what scientists do. Let me give an example. So I have a cousin that she has a, a, a girl, she has a daughter, and her daughter was asking me, Fabrizio, you're a scientist. Why you don't like uh, develop a vaccine to coronavirus? <laughs> and then I told her in a nice way, well, it's not that easy. It's complicated. We yeah. need a lot of people working together in collaboration to get to a point, and even though 
since we we are trying to understand our body and and how we work because let's say if you build a car or a computer or a spaceship the humans build it so they know every piece of it but we are discovering our body and our uh, cells and everything uh, by ourselves. We don't have a manual, right? So, yeah, I think that's really complicated. But in terms of the vaccine, I'm I'm really happy that there are seven or so. Well, you you must be extremely interested. I mean, from your background yeah. in molecular genetics and with this new um, nucleic acid-based um vaccine technology i mean it must be it's like for me be having a background in astronomy you know when something like the hubble space telescope goes up like i'm just i'm geek i'm geek out over it you must be the same with the with this new step forward in vaccine technology yeah yeah how how does somebody like me without a phd understand what it's all about by the way so that i can I'm not uh, a, I can, I can yeah. ignore the the crazy people in my DMs. Sorry, crazy well, people. Well, uh, people in general, before the, this vaccine for coronavirus, there was this whole talk about uh, vaccine related to autistic kids. Yeah, and yeah. There was uh, there were some religious people not wanting to vaccine their kids. Um, well, I think it's. Now it's uh, we overcome overcame this because they are really important, especially for kids in the beginning. Um, There's been quite since since this anti-vaxxer movement has kind of got a little bit of momentum. There have been outbreaks of measles and chickenpox. Yeah, in the US, like mm. some some religious groups, they didn't want to vaccinate their kids. Let me give you an example. In in Brazil, when I was a kid, uh, it's mandatory to to have all of the vaccines that are available, smallpox, all of them, polio, all of them. Uh, sometimes two times the same vaccine to avoid. Interestingly, in some countries in Europe and in the U.S., it's not like a, a mandatory. So they were also associating countries that uh, kids and people in general were vaccinated early on. They were more... Um, how can I say, they were responding better to the coronavirus than in countries like Italy that is not mandatory or even in the U.S. So there is this whole immune system craziness that we really don't understand. Mm -hmm. But in terms of the two vaccines based in in nucleic acids or genetic material from the virus, the only concern that I have, they are are new, brand new, new technology. It's like gene therapy in the beginning. The only concern that I have because what happens is you inject a nucleic acid that is going to be uh, the code for a specific protein from the coronavirus called spike. And then the cells from you, they are going to produce the spike protein. And then the immune system is going to recognize them and then build the, the, the be- a better response when you get the virus. But since you are injecting genetic material into your cells, that's my fear. What's going to happen in the long term, right? Yeah. So uh, let me. You can understand. You can understand why people, without a scientific, strong scientific understanding, is, are worried about it. When people who 
have a scientific understanding may have some concerns as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, well, I think in my case, if I, I I will have to decide when all of them are available, I think uh, the other uh, method is an adenovirus, which is a virus that is not that doesn't cause anything, and and it's well used in in scientific and academic labs. I even worked with a lentivirus, which is a HIV virus attenuated in 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 a laboratory. So. There are, uh, viruses in labs, they are used for more than a decade to do experiments. So uh, adenoviruses that are expressing or exposing the spike protein or any protein from the coronavirus, I think is the best uh, in terms of vaccine, even if it's not uh, uh, 90 whatever percent efficient. I think it's it's more conservative in terms of technology uh, because you never know what's going to happen in, in the in the near future uh, after everybody's vaccinated um, so I'm a little a little um, I, I try to analyze all of them and and think about it but but in terms of uh, scientific collaboration now it's getting better in the past it was yeah. horrible yeah yeah well I think this year this year across all sorts of industries and companies. And conversation. It's been a year of collaboration. I've seen. I've seen a lot more collaboration. I've been involved in a lot more collaborative projects this year than 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 the previous two years. I want to make sure that we cover everything that we talked about in the in the green room. By the way, so sorry if I, I take a quick left turn. Um, but I want to go back to your comments about data science and and pharmaceutical the pharmaceutical industry being behind the times when it comes to the use of data. How do, do you, th- you, you say, you say this industry is trying to catch up. Do you think the people making the decisions really understand what value research could potentially bring them? Like, is it, the, is it, is it um, an, an industry that is just measuring the same standard types of metrics to try and get a predictive picture of people? Or is it also, are they also seeing the value of consumer and customer insights of the qualitative aspect? Well, I think you, you are, it's a nice question. Um, pharma companies in general, the only objective that they have, they are, they are for-profit companies, right? So the more profit, the better. The thing that happened, and it's changing a little bit right now, and I'm dealing with a lot of uh, consultancy with big pharma companies, is that they they used to develop, let's say, a drug or a medicine or a treatment for everybody, uh, thinking that everybody is genetically equal, right? Which is not. So some people who have side effects, even doing the clinical trials, there are some standards that they can have X percent of side effects for a drug, blah, blah, blah. So they develop the drug. They take like five to 10 years, billions of dollars, and they want the money back like 100X or 50X, right? So um, in the 20th century, that's how it works. Now with the human genome, precision medicine, all of those things that are happening, single cell sequencing, um, 
like uh, all of the genome projects, a lot of people being sequenced in terms of whole genome because of the machines and the technology evolving. So the pharma companies are seeing that they have to change their strategy with the customers, the end customers, who are the patients most of the time. So they have to develop like a way of grouping uh, people based on their genetic profile. So let's say I have an oncology drug that is good for a group of people that overexpress protein X in that specific tumor. But there is a group of people in the same uh, 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 type of cancer or tumor that doesn't express or overexpress that protein that is going to have... They get no benefit from no that benefit same, no, exactly. same drug that was effective in the other segment of the human population. Then we got into personal genomics or personalized medicine. That's tough for them because they have to spread, uh, like, like they have to do much more science, like uh, they have to spend much more in R&D and their money back, like the, their profits is going to be lower because they less. are spreading the money. 10x instead of 50x. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So they need the data. The data is important because in clinical trials, they need to know genetically how, or even combine clinical information with genetic information and see who is benefiting more in this case compared to X, Y, and Z and uh, group those patients because most of the times, and uh, interestingly, for example, a breast cancer can have a, a similarity much between two people. A breast cancer profile in terms of genetics can be much more similar to a colon cancer in another person. So the drug that works for this can work for that than a breast cancer comparing a woman with another one. So it's a, it's a very complicated situation. And I think uh, pharma companies are getting to a trap right now. They need to um, evolve fast with uh, clinical data. And then you get into a, a, a big problem, which is uh, patient privacy that works differently where they are. If it's in the U.S., you have a lot of uh, problems with the privacy because of the health insurance uh, the health insurance companies. If you are in Europe, it's a different story. If you are in South America, it's a different story. If you are in Asia, it's a different story. So uh, they have to adapt. Uh, it's a lot of things that have to be done. And there will be some that are adapting better than others, which will be making it harder for the laggards. Yes, yes. Well, that's the thing right now. Some of them are... You are asking me how they are going to catch up. Some of them are changing their whole like uh, structure, and I can name names. But uh, one of them specifically from Europe are they are changing. The CEO is is transforming a pharma company into a data science company. They they are grabbing information from everybody, and I just wrote an article that's going to. Uh, be published about AI in life sciences that interestingly those devices that we have let's say smartphones or the speech recognition devices they're going to be used for clinical trials let's say 
uh, you have uh, two groups of people, one receiving a drug, the other one is a placebo, and they get a speech recognition. Every day they're going to say, speak and talk to this, the device saying, oh, I'm feeling well today, or I feel a headache today. And mm -hmm. this data is going to be collected and analyzed in a main and server. Like and linked to smart watches and where. Yeah, yeah, we are talking like every day having a lot of data, speech recognition, like heartbeat, um, you name it. So it's going to be tons of data. And data science now for me is going to be the profession for, of the future because you can work remotely uh, and remote work came to stay, I think. It's funny. It reminds me of a New Zealand company that we were introduced to last year called Edison. And they are providing, I guess you'd call it a concierge health service where you wear a, you've got a wearable, like a ring that takes your vital signs. But the, 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 the relationship begins with a full genetic and physical um, ex exploration and, um, you know, visit, visit to the doctors, medical you know, medical measurements, and then what they what they can provide as you move forward is a very tailored, personalized, and trackable regime to follow to extend your lifetime, to be healthier, to be more active, to be more productive, to be more energetic. I mean, the 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 future is pecking at our modern day. I mean, even even more so. This year, right? Yeah, this yeah. year has been the year of transformation. Interestingly, I'm a fan of Back to the Future, the, the, the movie, <laughs> right? The trilogy uh, with... Which is your favorite? Which is your favorite out of the three? Uh, the first one, I think. The first one, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm a fan. And uh, I was reading a book recently that the guy said... In 2015, because that's the year that he goes to the future, in 2015, we were expecting flying cars and we got 140 characters. Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but we're not, we're not far away from flying cars, though. Oh, yeah. And then, then that's the story. According to Uber Air, we are three or four, four yeah, years yeah. away. Drones and, uh, like, the SpaceX with the, the, the new uh, Elon Musk with this new company that is developing nice stuff for for the ISS the International Space Station so I think uh, yes uh, we we can't if we're talking about like uh, 10 20 years ahead I don't know what's gonna happen you can try to figure out but nobody thought about social media like it's it's happening right now right like let's say in 2000 uh, when some tech companies, came out and started, well, some of them came before, but I think we never expected things like that happening right now. Even a pandemic came, uh, that came in a, in a, in a timing that uh, even though we are isolated, people that is respecting the isolation, social um, isolation, mm -hmm. we are locked down, but we can talk using technology. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember the first time that I went to the U.S., you needed to buy a card with a number, call to a phone and give the code, and then they would connect <laughs> yeah. you and you have like five minutes or whatever to talk internationally. And now we have all of this technology. So it's really interesting what's happening.
It certainly is. I mean, we, I've spoken to quite a few people about this very topic, about how this year I've seen the technology companies that are thriving tend to be the ones that are trying to increase human connection. You know, like I think sometimes yeah. technology can distance ourselves from each other. And maybe in pre-pandemic times, we were, you know, there were people that could avoid being in a social environment using technology a little bit more. They could get that social feeling by their social media interactions. Whereas now we're all, we're, we're some of us more than others, you know, are, are really craving that human connection. And so, so like Zoom, who would have predicted 12 months ago that Zoom would become a global verb? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, even the guy that uh, founded Zoom, he he was like, "Whoa, the stock is skyrocketing!" Or crazy, whatever. yeah. yeah. Um, but interestingly, human interactions, like you were saying, if it's like family related or customer experience or talking to customers, I do that a lot uh, via technology right now. But I think you are right. We are. Um, we are really catching up and feeling more human now, I think, because we are having this feeling that we, we need human interactions. Let, let me give you an example. So I, I see a lot. Uh, it's, it's funny, right? I, I read that a lot of those uh, big shot couples, I'm not naming any of them, or even actors and actresses that yeah. never Alex. see each other. They never see each other. They are always working one in, in one side of the world, the other one in the other side, filming a movie or rock stars or whatever. Now they are together in the same house. It's a big house in Los Angeles or whatever they are. And now they are divorcing because they can't stand each other. So it's um, now but you it's, are seeing yeah, who, who is... It has. It has it has shone a light on our lives, hasn't it? Like the yes. the things that were broken seem more broken, or have seemed more broken. They've had it's a bigger impact. More. Yeah, it's and 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 the siloing of our lives has broken down. Like you, you know those those power couples or or a power broker who is at work driving the humans hard within its organization and can and can distance the business concept from family well all of a sudden they're running their business from home with kids running around the siloing of their business life and personal life has broken down um i think it's made us more outcome focused and i'll, I'll probably bore my listeners with this i do think this year yeah, yeah, yeah. way more outcome focused in my opinion Working from home, you work more than when you are going to an office. That's for sure. Because you Especially are, if you're focusing on activity, because you've got the added yes. guilt of not doing yes. things. It's like I, I could, I'm watching a movie instead of I could be, I could be here in my office doing some more strategy. And Where you don't it, have the clock, like oh, I arrived at nine a.m. and I leave. I'm leaving at six p.m. You always have something to do. And if you have kids and if you are married, you have to uh, balance those things. And some people, they were not used to that. And they have to, whoa, and now I have to do this. Anyway, but I think uh, even for customers, like when you are selling something or uh, user experience or user interactions 
I think it's important because some some of some of the people that were in advertising or working uh, with customers trying to sell something uh, on the phone or door to door or flying to places they can't so they have to have this virtual interaction which is completely different and they have to uh, they have to be good at it right on the go like you have to do that some people that are more introverts they they are not as good as the extroverts so we we see a, a lot of human interactions changing especially like i said marriage and work balance at at home which is complicated and even those uh, power couples that are rock stars or big shot actors that they are separated half of the year or even more and now they are having to stay 360 days together locked down mm. with the kids or whatever they yeah, in, their in their luxury condo with a swimming pool and um, oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah it doesn't matter you have to be there yeah that's right you can be in a in a you, I don't you, know. you can be in a 20,000 square foot or you can be in a 100 square foot with a family uh, the, the the space is a, is a is a is a problem sometimes but it is the same people that you are dealing every day so mm, yeah absolutely um Data science, we were talking in the green room, and again, just making sure that we cover off everything as we come to, um, you know, the, the the last part of the show. I, I, data science, obviously, data is now the most valuable resource, and as you so rightly predict, the, the role of data science is just growing and growing. Do you see a strong use of qualitative data in the data science or is that is that just too hard at scale like i'm i'm interested because i i think a lot of the time we have lots of metrics about our customers and we have lots of numbers but there's a lot of companies out there that still and and maybe some of those companies that have struggled this year because they've had potentially a a, a gap in their customer understanding but they don't seem to be collecting good quality qualitative data or they don't even seem to be looking to collect it in the first place and I'm yeah I'm looking at some media players for instance that that don't seem to have any qualitative understanding of their readership no I get it so we are in the fourth revolution I think data science is just the beginning we are entering now AI artificial intelligence like machine learning deep learning uh, natural language programming, which can read like thousands of articles like IBM Watson and things like that. So I think um, the metadata that is being collected, they have to be transformed into one, one specific form, like imaging or clinical data or heartbeats, everything. Um, it, it's very complicated. There are a lot of tools that are becoming available in terms of quantitative versus qualitative we have much more uh, quantity of data right now than data quality i would say so for example the uh, some devices some sensors they can measure some things uh not in a very quality 
in a in a uh, in a nice quality way, I would say, but from tons of people, right? So you mm. grab data from thousands of people or millions so you've got of people. Everybody's pulse, for instance. Everybody's pulse, but the time points are different. There is a lot of problems in there. So uh, answering your question, I think we are still struggling to equalize in terms of quantity to get to the quality uh, part of it. Uh, it's going to take a while because um, now, look at this. Now it's the biggest uh, challenge humankind is, is, is uh, trying to overcome. It's a pandemic. They are going to have to vaccinate seven plus billion people uh, eventually from the coronavirus uh, using various types of um, seven types now of uh, vaccines. And they're going to have to see what happens uh, somehow, right? Uh, collect data from those people, see who is having side effects, blah, blah. So it's a big experiment. Uh, it's not qualitative, it's quantitative because we don't have the tools yet to do the qualitative stuff. We are just analyzing quantity, I guess. But we will get there, I, I think. Yeah, well, the um, you talk about the, the the this this fourth industrial revolution. I love I I love I love that concept, but I've found it really fascinating how the economy seems to be changing as well with this industrial revolutionary change, which is moving from an experiential economy where we predominantly buy our products and services based on the experience in a homogenized world where products and services are similar and it tends to be based on experience. Whereas this year, a lot of people that I'm talking to are predicting that we're now in the transformational economy where the companies that we're loyal to are the ones that are transforming our lives, that our decisions are made upon the transformational aspect understanding our customers is going to become even more vital, isn't it? I mean, how, oh, yeah. If, yeah. If, you, if you were brought into a company that had a lot of quantitative data, how can, how can they quickly start enriching that quantitative data with qualitative data? Like and I, I think said, they, yeah, they, they have to group. Uh, they have to make small groups of uh, types of uh, people, groups of uh, data from people, and uh, to be qualitative, they have to uh, develop. We have to develop tools to grab as much information as we can from specific groups. And that's from conversation happening. with those groups. Is that no, what start, we're going towards? Yeah, it starts. Um, uh, it start to let's say uh, apply a specific. Uh, in the pharma companies or even in, in the tech companies, they have to um, analyze small groups in, in, in a more qualitative way to grab more information. But that's the problem in science. You have to have an end, a, a number of people or a number of uh, analytics for specific data points that is enough to give um, a high uh, p-value, right? Significant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. you get into this problem, but as soon as we have data from a lot of people, you can focus in small groups, and then you can understand 
uh, in terms of uh, quality. Let me give you an interesting example that I read in a book that nobody thinks about it, but car insurance companies in the U.S., right? Uh, the, the, the car insurance industry is basically selling uh, and, and they charge you based on your age, your history of um, problems with cars, like the, do you drive well or not? How do they grab this info? Before, they would see, oh, he's 20 years or 18, too young, um, probably he drinks and go to parties, blah, blah, blah. So they calculate, or if the person is, is a, a person with 60 plus years, they calculate how much they are going to charge you, not by the card they are use, you're using, but based on specific data, a few data points. Now, I was, I was uh, reading a book that a couple of years ago they started this. When the car is sold, the insurance company puts a sensor in the car uh, and they charge... Uh, initial amount for, for the, 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 the car insurance to begin with, and they track how this person is driving with time. They have analytics to do that. And then they equalize how much this person should pay. So let's say the person uh, crashed the car one year or is driving not really well because of this. They have metrics to, to see it's accelerating too much or it's not using this well or didn't change the oil. So they grab all of this data and using a tool that I don't know what they do, they calculate how much they are going to charge a person for the car insurance. So that's being used already by some yeah. car insurance companies. And it's crazy because nobody knew about that. They are doing this re- really like in silence. Um, and they are going to collect more and more data from people, right? With they are people are one aging. thing they won't. One thing they're not going to get get from that though is they're not going to get any wise. Yeah, all so they're they, getting they, is they the what you are driving. And you like uh, you are in, uh, like using the throttle, and then you stop the car really quick. They don't know if somebody's crossing the street, right? Yeah. But they, you might just be an erratic can. driver. Yeah, yeah. Or Are you a an squirrel, erratic driver that day? A or, or a kangaroo, like in yeah, Australia. Yeah, you're having oh. a bad day because you've yeah, had yeah. some prescription medicine or is it just that there's a um, a march going they, on around the town that you're in? I mean, They can combine data. Let's say you are taking yeah. uh, antidepressant and you are driving. So they combine the health data with the driving data, and they say, well, this thing is not working for this person. So it's crazy, right? So I didn't know about that until I read this book that they were talking about car insurance companies getting into data science. How? I was thinking, how can they do that? Oh, they have a sensor in the cars now. Any car, Volkswagen, any any brand. So they can measure everything that you are doing in the car. They can't record like what you are talking, of course, but they can see uh, how you are driving. Like, let's see uh, Lewis Hamilton, right? The, the F1 car racing uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, champion. Uh, yeah. Driving, uh, are you, uh, what's the base to compare? Who, you, who yeah. are you comparing? 
Yeah. Are you a particularly skilled driver compared to somebody who has no no skills and is just crazy and takes uncalculated risks? It is oh, that those old ladies driving the Cadillac in the US, like 90-something, like driving and uh, almost hitting the, 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 the trees uh, in the street. So it's, it's very... Um, it's, you are right, scary. though. I mean, it's, when you start collecting data from or data, as I'm from the UK, so I struggle to say data. Yeah, pandemic, pandemia. I write, yeah. pandemia <laughs> and you know, it's pandemic. No, I write British English sometimes. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, before you go, I wondered whether there were specific examples where you're currently trying to enrich your data or, or you have in the past with conversational information because what I'm seeing in a lot of voice of customer platforms is a big growth in real-time text analytics. Yeah. It's called real uh, a real word data or uh, real uh, evidence data, uh, RWD. Uh, pharma companies use that a lot right now to grab uh, real um time data from patients in clinical trials. So is that kind of like what you were talking about before, where yeah. you had... Um, Speech recognition, all of those things, like sensors. Where you're asking people, how are you feeling today? Um, yeah. Where it's, yeah. Uh, where it's um, interacting with those smart devices. I get yes. you. Yes, the, the devices are, are, they are being used in clinical trials. They are starting to use them. And sensors, right? The the how many heartbeats per minute, blah blah, and this, the the small things that the the devices, the sensors do right now, but it's going to increase the number of things that they can do with time. Um, but I think uh, what I'm trying to do right now as a consultant is, and I have, uh, can I give my my website here? It's, uh, I would love you to. And as as we approach the end of the show, yeah, tell us. Tell us how people should be reaching out to you and what for and, um, yeah, you know, yeah, for, sure. with this example. It'd be great to So it's www.genomicenterprise for those fans of Star Trek.com. So genomicenterprisetogether.com. That's my website. And then you can have the link to my blog that I post some things about the coronavirus vaccine and things that are happening in, in the pharma and tech industry and my uh, life as a scientist. But what I try to do in my consultancy is to guide those startups of mid-sized companies or even big pharma companies, specific departments that are trying to um, evolve in terms of tools that they should use, like you said, to um, more than get quantity of data, try to get uh, smart information from this data, right? quality uh, information that could be actionable for them in that specific problem they are trying to solve. And I'm talking about pharma, biotech, life science, and even some small uh, startups uh, dealing with tech, uh, technology, logistics, or, or things like that. So how to tackle and which tools to use for specific analytics, pipelines to build, and things like that which is going to be the future, like you said, not, not just collect a bunch of data, like uh, 
quantitative uh, uh, way, in a quantitative way, but uh, how to transform big data into smart data so you can be actionable and do something about that, right? Uh, to make people's life better in terms of uh, quality of life, longevity, people living more and things like that. So personalize things that in a way that, or you, you are lactose intolerant, so you should avoid some things. So you won't have problems. That's a very uh, specific example, which is uh, widespread right now, gluten-free things, or even like you don't metabolize drug X, X Y, and Z well, so don't take those drugs. So everything is going to be personalized in a way that is uh, qualitative and not just uh, a bunch of data sitting and nobody knows what to do with that. How do you think the pharmaceutical... There's a lot of scary things in here. There's data giving access to, you know, your bio, your, your bio information. Um, to allow people to track you. There are, there are so many positives if we can collect this data. But to the people who are providing us with this data, it can seem pretty bloody scary, you know, just well, like science same, can. Yeah, the same scary. people that collect your data, they sell you the products that they want based on your data, right? Yeah. I'm not talking just about genomics, but then that's a problem that... Um, the privacy problem, who owns your information, who owns your data. Uh, some social media companies, they think they own your data because they and offer... they do at the moment. <laughs> yeah, right now, they kind they, of do. They, they offer services for free, so you give all your data, you, you are not charged at all, and mm. then they do whatever they want with your information. But I, I, I see a lot of people... Like this money transferring. Like, if that's yeah. going to be free, you've got to start it's nothing is free. You're the product. Nothing is free. So no. I see a lot of people getting out of those specific social media, or there is a movement in the Congress of the US trying to control those big tech companies, or even uh, try to make them develop a model that people are, are getting something for their information. So let's say you post a photo or you do something in a social media that is important for them to know a specific uh, personality, uh, a specific uh, feature from you or characteristic from you that is going to get them a lot of money. So you get a small piece of the money that they are getting somehow. I think that's the best model. And then you choose to give the information or not. Oh, I don't want to give them the information because I don't care. I don't want to get like... 3% of the money that they are getting. Like, like uh, some of the music uh, platforms do uh, with, um, with singers, right? They sell the, the song or the album and the singer gets X, the company gets Y, and uh, the, the, I don't know, the, the people that are representing the singer or whatever gets Z. So I think models like this, in the recording industry, it happened in, in the... In the Video and movie companies, it's happening. So we have a lot of streaming. Uh, and like I think, a, I think with the march of blockchain, um, 
what excites me again we're, we're right back to where we began with collaboration and about the breaking down of siloing there are these really cool industries that have the capability of good and not so good and if they can collaborate together to look at a systems approach to the problems that we have. For instance, blockchain being the answer to our, the data theft that is going on about being in control. Um, we had someone on the show who is um, as a telepresence robotics company that's allowing um, an interaction on a more personal level when you're not in the room with each other. Um, and you combine that with the robotics, AI, genetics as we've discovered today like it's it's all really exciting and i think the future is going to be owned by the players in all of those industries that see outside of their industry and how they can collaborate together to fix all of our our, our greatest challenges well yeah i agree with you and uh, my thinking is that if all of those big players that collect our data with their servers all over the world, the big pharma servers, or big, uh, big uh, server farms, because they have tons of servers all over the world collecting your data. If they would get all of this power to try to find um, treatments or even uh, cures for diseases like cancer, mm -hmm. we would have already some cures. Mm -hmm. they, their business model is different. They don't care about that at least until so, now so it only it only takes one mover to disrupt oh, yeah. the barrel and say well this is we're, we're one of the top four farm biofarm companies we're going to revolutionize the way that we treat humans no i'm not talking about the pharma companies I'm, I'm talking about the big tech companies if they oh, the big tech collaborate companies. yeah exactly. if they would yes. collaborate yeah. with uh big pharma with the data that they have using the servers from the tech company to analyze the data in a faster way, we would have cures, amazing cures for diseases that we still have. Or even this a vaccine that is coming and out. That, that data could be anonymized if anybody's listening. Oh, yeah. privacy, I don't want to share my data. Privacy can still be maintained by doing this. Yeah, privacy is an issue. But I think uh, a lot of companies are working on that, like uh, the deep web and uh, blockchain, things that like that. They were doing bad things in the beginning. Now they are being applied to, to good things like the Silk Road, right? The uh, problems mm. that happened. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then they they are now doing good things. So, yeah, but the, the, the future looks bright. I think uh, I read a lot of uh, books from people saying if you compare the 21st century with all of those things that are happening uh in 19 uh, in the 1920s uh, people would live until 40 50 years now we live up to 80 uh, 75 in some countries or even 80 85 so i think longevity is going to be more than 100 depending on where you are the problem with society in general is that the differences in the globe, right? So some people live like a king, some people live uh, in poor regions in Africa. So that's the thing that it's not going to change, I think. 
yeah, we've a long way to go to fix all of the woes. And it probably isn't all going to be fixed by one company working with another company. But I do think even if you're just thinking of shareholder experience, then it's it's already being proven this year that if you can reach across your industry lines or your even even your competitive lines to see what strengths you can bring, then there's some amazing results that can happen from that collaboration. Um, Fabrizio, thank you so much for coming on the show, especially um, we've we've had a, just for listeners at home, we've had a few technical difficulties, so so um, a few breaks no in problem. recording. So um, thanks for taking those on the chin like an absolute champ. And um, it's been fascinating exploring the world of data science with you. Um, especially thank you. Uh, I appreciate the invitation and I hope it helped your listeners. And uh, I'm open to any questions if people want to, to reach me. Great. So reach out to Fabio, uh, Fabrizio for um, some insight in further insight into data science he's on linkedin we'll have all of his links in the show notes as well so once again fabrizio thank you so much i'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening today i hope you got some really solid value out of the conversation if you did get some value please consider subscribing using any of the links below we are on all major podcast platforms And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via our website, www.halftimeorange.co.nz. Look forward to speaking with you next time.